This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Father, thank you so much that you have done this and you have made this known. And it is not by my strength or intellect or eloquence that I dare stand here, but it is by your Spirit working in me and in each one of us. Please enable me to declare faithfully and clearly your word that we might hear and indeed repent and believe. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, last night I was at a dear student's uh, wedding, and um, he did something quite different. So, the, you know, at the wedding dinner, people will, the bride and groom will come in one time, then they'll make a second entrance. Now, when they made the second entrance, they did it um, by dancing. So instead of just walking in and people standing and clapping to the you know different outfit, they actually had a you know different dance. And then when they said their vows together, uh, before they actually said the vows, they you know said a little uh, note to each other and how what the person meant to them. Now I say this because um, there are probably people here who are you know going to get married, and this is just to give you ideas about what to do <laughs> when you do have uh, the time when you have to plan. Now, sitting next to um, one of uh, their family friends, uh, old guy, used to teach in Tomasic Poly, who also knows Musok Singuze. Um, and he asked me how I started going to full-time ministry. And that just got me thinking, oh yeah, so many years ago. And I remember how as a young Christian, when I first became a Christian, the, you know, Christianity and Jesus coming to church was just all about me. You know, about, okay, what, what, what I'm learning and how I'm benefiting and what's, what's in it for me. And it was really only when I began to grasp that the God of the Bible is a God who actually has large and great purposes to save and reconcile the lost to himself. That our, the God of the Bible is a missionary God. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. They are missionary God, that I began to see, oh, no, no, this, this, this is not about me. This is not about what I'm benefiting, how, how, what I can get out of it, but what God is doing. And so as I grew to understand this more, I wanted to align my life's purpose more deliberately with what God uh, has revealed He is doing in the world. And so, you know, one step led to another, and here I am today. And uh, I, w- I want to say it's a great privilege Uh, to be serving you, to be serving God's people. Now, what I want to do is to focus uh, today on Acts chapter 2, which is a major turning point, a major turning point in God's missionary purposes and to see what it has to teach us. Because this turning point marks a new stage in God's plan. And it is of great relevance to us because this is the stage that all of us belong to. We belong to the stage that we call the last days. And the last days is basically when Jesus first rose and it's the last days until he comes again. So we are all in the last days. Now verse 5 of chapter 1 has told us Jesus' instruction. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, 
but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So that promise, that instruction that Jesus gave all the way back in chapter 1 verse 5, it is now fulfilled with the coming of the Spirit in Acts chapter 2. And the coming of the Spirit is to enable them to fulfill what Jesus has told them to do, which is recorded for us in verse 8 of chapter 1, where he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So the coming of the Spirit is to enable God's people to carry out this mission for them to be his witnesses. Now, um, the part that we didn't cover in chapter 1 is of how Judas had to be replaced by Matthias through the drawing of lots. And the whole point is that they needed to get back to 12 again. Because without Judas, it has become 11 apostles. But it needs to be 12 because 12 is representative of Israel, 12 tribes the picture of Israel. And even though it's like chosen by Lot, uh, they understand it that it is Christ who is choosing Matthias. So it's 12 apostles chosen by Christ representing uh, Israel. Now notice uh, what Jesus says about the part that his disciples have to play. In this new stage of God's purposes, you will be my witnesses. This is how the kingdom expands, through the disciples pointing to Christ, preaching about his death and resurrection with the power of the Spirit. And first from where they are in Jerusalem and then in ever-increasing circles, on and on and on until the furthest ends of the earth. And this is the stage that we all belong to. As disciples of Jesus, we are charged with witnessing of him to the ends of the earth. This is what missions is all about. In the power of the Holy Spirit, going out into the world, pointing to Christ. And the beginning of this stage is the coming of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2. So let's uh, focus our attention now on Acts 2 and see what it has to teach us. So firstly, in verses 1 to 13, the descent of the Spirit. Now I must emphasize that uh, what we read here is a unique event that happened to the disciples and it is not meant for us to expect, you know, that, oh, we pray hard enough or we pray early enough, you know, we should see something similar. No, no, no. This is something unique because it marks this new stage in God's missionary purpose. The disciples are gathered together and suddenly there's this sound from heaven. There's like a mighty rushing wind. And then what appears to be tongues of fire comes uh, it divides and it rests on each one of them. Now, that's what they saw, that's what they heard. But what was actually happening? Now, verse 4 tells us, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, because it is the time of Pentecost, important Jewish festival, there were many Jews who had come from afar, you know, so some came from, you know, different, different places and they learned their, they, they know those languages. So gathered in this place were Jews who had traveled there, uh, who know different languages. Now I won't go through reading all the names, you know, Tanyang did a, a decent job of doing that. But what these people, with all their different languages, they hear 
the disciples proclaiming the wonders of God in their native language. So like if there was a Jew that came from China, uh, let's say, then they would have heard the disciples saying, Yes, something like that. Yeah, sorry, sorry. I, <laughs> I don't have the gift of tongues. <laughs> um, so far from speaking gibberish, okay, the disciples were actually speaking languages that can be understood. And speaking so many different languages that these people from these different countries can say, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Now this is uh, significant to understand because the Holy Spirit didn't actually, actually need to use so many languages. Because all the people who were there, they actually had a common language. They all spoke Greek. So the disciples could have simply spoken Greek and the message about the wonders of God would have been equally proclaimed. But the Spirit in this important turning point, He inspires so many languages, He seems to be driving home the message that the wonders of God is truly for all the nations. Because the commission of Jesus is for them to be His witnesses to the furthest ends of the earth. So God is making the point, through the Spirit, that every language is an appropriate vehicle for the message about the wonders that He has done. Now all of us, we are looking at our English Bibles and you know we take it for granted. You know, the fact that the Holy Scriptures are in our language. That we can hear and read God's Word in a language we can understand. But this is not the case for, you know, like every other religion. For Islam, for example, uh, you know, the only legit way to read the Quran is to do it in Arabic. And the Vedic scriptures of India uh, is only to be studied in Sanskrit. And even in Israel now, the Orthodox Jews, they study the Old Testament only in the Hebrew language. But for us, because the message of God is meant for all nations, it is appropriate to be studying and hearing it in people's heart language. See, the Holy Spirit at Pentecost has made it clear that the one message of the Son of God who has died to erase our sins is not to be confined to one language. No, no, it is to be made available in all languages so that every nation can hear about the saving purposes of God. So that's why a very important work of uh, missions today is translating the scriptures into various languages. Um, it's important not just so that it's easy for people to understand, but it also sends a clear signal that the message of the grace of God is for you. It is your message. It is for your people. It is for your tribe, your nation. It is for you to hear and to respond. Now, when I was in Bible College, one of my friends who, before he came to Bible College, worked as a welder. So he was a blue-collar um, Australian. And before he came to Bible study, he actually, uh, Bible College, he actually worked in uh, UK for a while as a welder. And he told me the story of how, uh, you know, some of his colleagues were welders from Vietnam. And then one day he found this Vietnamese who was, you know, welding together next to him who happened to speak perfect English. That was so surprising to find a Vietnamese speaking perfect English. 
And so the whole day welding together, you know, he got to know him and he began to tell him about Jesus. Now the really, really interesting thing is that the next day, some of his UK friends came to him and said, Hey Dan, I didn't know you spoke Vietnamese so well. <laughs> See, so for my friend Daniel, all the time he's thinking, he's speaking in English and the Vietnamese is responding in perfect English. But the whole time, he's actually speaking Vietnamese. Somehow, God used my friend in a very, very special way to communicate the gospel, the wonders of God's grace in a way such that this Vietnamese person could understand. And now what, what God is doing with that, what impact that Vietnamese man as he comes to believe and embrace the Lord Jesus Christ, what he is doing now. I mean, that is only for us to find out uh, on the other side of heaven. But the point is that the message is for all. It is meant to the very ends of the earth for every nation, tribe, and language. Now let's move on to Peter's sermon in verses 14 to 36. Now Peter gets up and he begins to explain to the crowd what is happening. And in his sermon, he uses three Old Testament passages. So the crowd, obviously, they are Jews and they obviously know the Old Testament. So Peter quotes from the Old Testament to show that what is happening is actually fulfillment of the scriptures. Now the sermon can be divided into uh, three parts. So firstly, Peter explains the coming of the Spirit as seen in Joel 2. So verse 17, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Okay, so we can understand that God is pouring out his spirit. You know, God says one day he will do it. And on Pentecost, this day, God is doing it, pouring out his spirit. But what is all this about sons and daughters prophesying, seeing visions? So if we have the Holy Spirit, you know, does it mean that we must prophesy, we must, you know, see visions? Okay, I think the understanding is that in the Old Testament, who were the people who saw visions? Who were the people who prophesied? Well, it was the prophets, right? Now, why were the prophets in the Old Testament able to do that? Because God put his spirit on them. Did everyone in the Old Testament have the, have the Holy Spirit? No. It was only these special people who were anointed with the Holy Spirit for a special time to prophesy, to have a vision. But Joel chapter 2 says, a time will come when God will pour his spirit on all his people. And so to underline the point, he says, your sons and daughters, even your servants will prophesy. And when he says prophesy here, we always have the idea that it is, you know, foretelling. You know, foretelling what is going to happen in the future. But no, the idea is more actually forthtelling. Telling forth the message of God. Telling forth the wonders of God's grace. The message that God has for the people to hear. So the point he's making is that instead of the Spirit poured out only on a few, all of God's people will have the Spirit. And Peter is saying, that day is today. 
I mean, not today, lah. Peter's today. Yeah. Now, what is God's purpose in doing this? Well, we've already said. Because God, through His Son, Jesus, wants the disciples to be witnesses even to the ends of the earth. And the key function of the Spirit in them is to empower them to witness to Jesus Christ. And because Peter has just had the Spirit poured on him, this is exactly what he goes on to do. Because in the second part of his sermon, Peter shows proof that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is God's chosen King. And he does this from Psalm 16. Uh, Look at verse 22. He says, Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Okay, so Peter reminds them that Jesus died and he was raised to life. Now, so how does that prove that Jesus is the Christ, that he, this, this man, Jesus of Nazareth, how does that prove that he is God's chosen king? Well, to understand this, you need to bear in mind two things that the Old Testament says about the chosen king. Okay, number one, it says that the king will be a descendant of David. A descendant of David whose throne will last forever. Now, we are familiar with that, right? Because we just studied 2 Samuel, okay? Now, the second thing Old Testament says is that the king will also be a suffering servant who will be pierced for transgressions and he will be a lamb led to the slaughter. So, two things, right? King that reigns forever and he will be pierced, he's led to the slaughter. So, you see, number one, contradicts number two. How can you be a king that rules forever and yet be a king that must die? Well, the answer is, unless you are the king that is raised to life. So that is the logic of the Old Testament. The the, the logic of the New Testament, I mean. That because this Jesus died and was raised to life, It proves that he is the Christ. And how do we know that he was raised to life? Well, Peter says, we are witnesses of this fact. That God has raised this Jesus to life. And then thirdly, Peter's conclusion using Psalm 110. Again, a Psalm of David. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Now, it sounds confusing, but the first Lord refers to God. So, David is saying, God. Okay, God said to my Lord. And the second Lord, who is uh, David's Lord? Well, that can only be the Christ who Peter has just proved to be Jesus. And so, uh, Peter concludes in verse 36, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. 
Now that was uh, Peter's sermon. Okay, there are parts which are a bit complex. But essentially what's happening is that Peter now being filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit is proclaiming Jesus. He is witnessing to who Jesus is, witnessing to the wondrous acts of God in Christ. Now when we had a Bible study this week, uh, one of our you know, regular Bible study members, uh, Elizabeth, who goes to 4pm service, she was a bit late, and when she came in, she exclaimed, ah! I only expected to see three people! Uh, because that's the you know, usual size of our Bible study. Because you know, some people you know, they are sick, and some they don't come. And so, you know, three people, uh, usually. But on that Friday, we had uh, something like 12 or more people, because uh, people, new people had come to join for the Bible overview. And so because there were, uh, you know, so many new people, we had, uh, you know, introductory question. And on the spot, I just thought of the question, okay, okay, uh, share a book or song or sermon or poem, you know, that made an impact on your Christian life. So for me, I shared about a book, uh, the book in one sense, second to the Bible, uh, that made the most impact on my life. And it was the missionary biography of Jim Elliot. And, you know, you can guess that it made a big impact on my life because, you know, my firstborn is named after him. And I saw in uh, Jim Elliot's life as a young Christian, you know, what it meant to really believe in Jesus as Lord and follow him. So at the age of 22, Jim Elliot wrote, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And so true to his words, he turned away from all possible successes. I mean, he was like student president, he was like, you know, a university wrestler, he was handsome, he was smart. You know, like what I want my son to be, maybe. Um, <laughs> but more importantly, more importantly, to see that all those things count for nothing. He's no fool to give up what he cannot keep. To gain that which he cannot lose. And so he, in obedience to God, went to Ecuador to minister to uh, Indians in the jungle. And he, with uh, four other friends, they died in the mission field. They were speared to death by the very Indians they were trying to reach. And he was only 29 years old. And a big impact on my life. And, you know, even though I, I named my son after him, I must remember not to make a hero out of him. Because in one sense, what he did was not something extraordinary. No, no. In fact, what he did was just living out normal, ordinary Christianity. See, all Jim Elliot and people like him did was to hear the words of Jesus, You will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And what enabled Jim Elliot and others like him to obey those words of Jesus, what empowered them, what enabled them, is the Holy Spirit in them. The same Holy Spirit that resides in each one of God's people. They don't have something more than us. We don't have something lacking compared to them. Now, of course, the way that we will obey will be different. You know, for Jim Elliot, it was going and Ecuador, you know, proclaiming. 
Now, for others of us, it will be witnessing to family and friends, you know, in our workplaces, uh, you know, at wedding dinners. Uh, it, it will be supporting overseas mission work with prayer, with uh, sacrificially giving. It will work out differently for each one of us. But it is that same responsibility, same privilege, same enablement, same empowerment of the Holy Spirit in all of God's people that enables us to be His witnesses. And finally, that brings us to a new community. Verse 37 to 47. Now, Peter's sermon is used by the Spirit, and the people there were cut to the heart, and they were convicted. And so they asked Peter, what shall we do? And Peter says, you must repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And this is like the one of the most effective sermons recorded. Because thousands believed and were baptized on the spot. Now what I want us to notice is that the decision to believe in Jesus was also a decision to leave one community and join a new community. Leave one community and join a new community. Because in verse 40, Peter says, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Right? That's the community they leave behind. And the new community they join is described in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You see, the Spirit-empowered witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only way to create such a community. There is no other way. There is no amount of rules and regulation of education or you know whatever policy. No, the only way is through the empowered preaching of the gospel. Because we see in this new community that these are changed people. There's now a hunger for the apostles' teaching. There is a, a commitment to remember the death of Jesus through the breaking of bread. There's a commitment to prayer. There is a love and care for each other shown in how they share their possessions. There's a commitment to the fellowship meeting together in temple and in homes. There's a praising of God. There is evangelism. And this community is a foretaste of that heavenly community which is described for us in Revelation 7. You know, where there's that great multitude from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne, before the Lamb. And a multitude crying out, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And friends, this is where God is heading. From Pentecost until Jesus returns, through the Spirit-empowered witness of His people, through you and me, God is going to be using 
His Spirit-empowered people as they witness to Jesus Christ to create such communities from every nation, tribe and language. And all these communities will one day be joined together into that heavenly multitude standing before the throne of God. Now this is where God is heading. This is what He is now doing. See, friends, we must understand that these are the times in which we live. God has poured out His Spirit, enabling us to witness. God is drawing the nations to Himself through forming the community of His church. This is what He is doing now. This is something that He will fulfill and bring to pass. Now, as you went, I want to share a really encouraging story of one of my students. Uh, his name is Samuel, and he just you know joined us this year, and he's a fairly new Christian. And one day, he, he just told me that together with another uh, Christian friend, he's going to go around on campus trying to talk to people about Jesus. And, you know, asked me for prayer, and the day came, and I remembered, and I, you know, prayed for Samuel. And then he came late for the meeting, but you know, but when he came, his, his eyes were sparkling. And of course, hey, hey, please, you know, share, tell us what happened. Now, so he's, he's a new Christian and he's doing this for the first time. And then he said, oh, you know, I, I went with my, my friend Nick and as we're going around, we said, uh, excuse me, do you have, uh, can you spare five minutes? We want to, you know, talk about our faith. We want to tell you about Jesus. And they just met rejection after rejection after rejection. Nobody wanted to talk to them. And then finally he said, Nick, I think we must change our, you know, opening question. You know, instead of saying, uh, excuse me, do you have five minutes? They changed the opening question to, you know, they saw this guy sitting at a bench and, uh, you know, Samuel went up to him and said, hey bro, free or not? (laughs) So I, I, I burst out laughing because (laughs) it's not really a different question, but it worked. Uh, the guy was an Indonesian guy, and he said, okay, sure, sit down. And, you know, for the next 15 minutes, they, they just talked about, uh, you know, had opportunity to share about Jesus. And, and when he came back, he was, his eyes were just aglow. Because what was happening was he knew he was being empowered by the Spirit. And he had a great privilege of witnessing to Jesus Christ. Now, may God help each one of us to trust Him and what He has given us to enable us to do what He has told us to do to the ends of the earth. May God help us. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.